That's awesome. Did anyone see the, the Von Trapp girl died this week? Did you guys see that? The going on 17 girl? Oh, tough, tough world, man. Um, yeah, lot, lots going on, lots of deaths, lots of trials, a lot of struggles, a lot of uh, anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of addiction. Um, if there was ever a time to believe in a supernatural God who uh, helps people, it would be now. Um, please be praying for your neighbors and your friends. Um, I just, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. Um, and yet, have you noticed that people again and again try to do this thing called life without the Lord? And the, just the depression that is hanging out in our world today. This media is just crazy these days and, and what's going on uh, with our world. And um, Jesus is still the answer. I just hope that you believe that. I hope that you're taking your faith serious. I hope that you're reading your Bible not to be a good little boy or a good little girl, but because you need a daily bread that would feed you and give you what you need. And I hope that you're asking the Lord, giving him permission to fill you. You know, I, I just hope that you are... Uh, walking that Christian life. Um, I can't change you, but I can love you, and I can encourage you to go to the one who can change you. Um, If there was ever a time to just be a Christian, it would be now. And so I I just wanted to spend some time, I I already did it earlier, but just again, just asking the Lord to to give us what he would want to give us. Um, The great thing about him is all these other religions, we try to find God somewhere. But in Christianity, God is actually in us. That's a huge difference between us and the rest of religions, that Christ actually dwells in us, and, and Christ is actually giving us power, power within us. It's amazing how many Christians live a powerless religion. It's not a powerless religion. You have the power of God within you, giving you what you need, giving you what you need to say. He, he gives you words to say. He gives you things to do. He's in you. It's a powerful religion. It's a supernatural, powerful religion. But God is not somewhere on the mountaintops. He's in you. And so, God, we just pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear you. You moving in us and through us. Lord, even now, would you just bring someone to mind, someone that we maybe need to text or call or encourage or send a card to. Remind us of someone maybe that we need to go to to love that remind us of someone that we might need to approach both in grace and in truth. Remind us, Lord, of areas that we're, where we are defiling your temple, Lord. Remind us of areas where we are doing things not that you would want us to do, but things that are contrary to your will. Lord, would you even now, Lord, just begin to clean house in our house <laughs> and fill our lives, our house, our temple with your Spirit. God, we, what a mess, what a ridiculous thing this would be if we just went through the motions this morning. What foolishness, what a waste of time. But God, we believe your spirit is here, your spirit is real, and your spirit wants to conform us into the image of Christ, transform us from glory to glory to become more like your son Jesus Christ. We believe right now that there is the power of the Holy Spirit moving in us and through us. And so we are open to that right now. We do not want to just check off the box and say, wow, we are good little Christians because we went to church. We want to say, no, God, the transforming power of God was here with us, leading us, guiding us, changing us. Lord, for those of us that would agree with that, we all just say, amen. Amen. Well, I have adored this series. I kind of want to do this series for the rest of my life. Um, It's just so fun uh, to see 
uh, what God would want to speak to us through Scripture. And, and it, we've called it twisted, kind of the idea that we've twisted these Scriptures. And we're trying to untwist the Scriptures, see what God is really trying to say to us. They're just these misquoted, misunderstand, uh, misunderstood verses in the Bible. The Finisher series is probably one of the most misquoted uh, scriptures and, and there's this version of the scripture uh, that we we say if you're a Christian non-Christian doesn't matter we all say it. it's money is the root of all evil right have you heard that one before money is the root of all evil and that's an incredibly misquoted version of what the Bible actually says in fact I'll show you a photo from a restaurant it says money is the root of all evil cleanse yourself here <laughs> which I think is pretty good right pretty clever that, but that's what most people think of this verse, is that money is the root of all evil. First off, I want to show you the actual verse. It's Paul talking to Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, actually, I'll, I'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 most of the time. So go ahead and open up your Bibles there. But this is what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at this misquoted verse. Verse 10. Go ahead and... Say it with me. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let's say it one more time. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, if you're like most people, when we read that, we're like, well, I guess I have nothing to worry about, right? Because that's talking about some other rich, greedy person who loves money, but that's not me, right? I don't love money. Well, how do we discern whether we love money or not. The Bible actually helps us out here. Look, look at what the Bible says. Listen to Solomon. Remember Solomon? He, he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He says, whoever loves money, <clears throat> say it with me, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth, say it with me, is never satisfied with their income. Alright? When you look at that definition of who loves money, who doesn't love money, it's Someone who never has enough. Suddenly that can make us all feel a little uncomfortable, I think. Because if I took a poll for you to raise your hands, please don't raise your hand. But if I said, would a little more money make your life a little better? Would a little more money make you happier? You might raise your hand. But whoever loves money is never satisfied with their income. Ouch, right? Ouch. It hits close to home for me. When I was starting out as a pastor 12 years ago, I made this much money. But I remember a colleague of mine, he made this much money. And I thought, oh, if I only made that much money, how happy I would be. And then I got married and I got three kids. And guess what? Ta-da! We actually made this much money. But then all of a sudden, mysteriously, that line moved. If we could only make this much money, then we would be finished, we would be set, we would be happy, and we would never need any more. In fact, I want you to ask the question again. You don't have to answer this, but if you're honest, the answer might be revealing to about where your heart is, where my heart is in regards to money. The question is this. How much money do you need to be happy? How much money do you need to be satisfied? How much money do you need to feel secure, to be happy, to be satisfied, to feel secure and and virtually everyone i know would always say well a little bit more right a little bit more but whoever loves money never has enough they're never satisfied with their income and suddenly that verse this verse about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil maybe it hits a little closer to home than some of us first realize and what i want to do today is the same thing we've done the last few weeks i want to dive into the context 
And I've really enjoyed the last three weeks. And if you've been with us, we've talked about understanding the context of the verse, right? You don't want to just pull out a verse out of context, make a life theology around it. You want to look at the verse, who wrote the verse, what comes before and after the verse, who is it being written to, what's the context, what's the theme that the verse is in the middle of. We want to understand the context, the surrounding of what is actually written. So let me give you the context of this verse. Paul is writing to Timothy. We call this a pastoral epistle. You ever heard that phrase, pastoral epistle? You ever heard that before? Maybe if you took a systematic theology class or something like that. Uh, he writes a pastoral epistle to Timothy, two of them, right? First Timothy, second Timothy. Does anyone remember who the other one was written to? It starts with a T. Titus, yeah, absolutely. Titus. And, and you would say that Paul, uh, for Paul, Timothy and Titus, they're kind of sons of the faith, right? These are men that he's pouring into and he's instructing them. They're very intimate, they're very rich, and he's instructing them. They call them pastoral epistles because he's talking to them, describing how the church should function, uh, how it should operate. And so we call them these pastoral epistles. And here he is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And We actually want to start in chapter 6 here, and and then we're going to move on down in the context of the chapter. Paul says this. He says, but godliness, everyone say godliness. Godliness Godliness with what? With contentment is great gain. If there's a big theme in this this teaching, I would say it's not money. It's actually godliness and contentment. He says, but godliness, so this is the goal, godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain gain and then he goes on to say for we brought nothing into the world and what can we take out of the world nothing nothing you you, you brought nothing in you can bring nothing out it's kind of easy to understand in our heads right like we're all pretty rational people like well of course pastor dan but have you noticed that our hearts have a harder time receiving that right we understand in our heads things like i've never seen a hearse pulling a u-haul you know those types of things but in our hearts at least when we look at our actions and how we actually live, I think our hearts have a harder time understanding this. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, he's reminding all of us, hey, you brought nothing into this world and you're going to take nothing out of this world. And then in the next, next verse, he says something pretty profound. He says, but if we have what? If we have food and clothing, we'll be what? Let's see. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be, say it with me, content with that. Do you believe that? Could you get your mind wrapped around that? I was thinking about it in my own life. If we have food and clothing and an iPhone, well, and Netflix. Well, if I have Netflix, then I'm going to have to have Wi-Fi. No, 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 no. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. He says there's great gain in contentment. One of the things Paul's saying right now, is, I would say this, is that those who are richest, aren't those who have the most, but those who need the least. I want to say it again. The richest people, they're not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Contentment. In fact, all you have to do is go to another part of the world where they have a lot less than what we have, and suddenly you look around, and this happened to me big time. It will just bother you, because in so many ways, those who have so much less, they seem to have more. Have you ever been there before? (laughs) Right? It is unnerving it's disturbing it's unsettling because you see these christians in a developing nation who have dirt floors no electricity no hot water no toilets that work and these people they have really they have none of the things that we take for granted and yet 
they have this joy. Have you noticed? Isn't it just unsettle your heart? I mean, this joy, this peace. They have this life. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, yeah, the richest are not those who have the most. The richest would be those who would need the least. They are content with what they have. Listen, discontentment can make a rich person poor. Contentment can make a poor person rich. Paul is saying we brought nothing into the world. We're going to take nothing out of it. We need to recognize that. If we have food, if we have clothing, if we have shelter, if we have those basic needs, we can be content with that because godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that could be the end of the message, right? I mean, that could change this entire region if we all just grabbed a hold of that, that, okay, godliness with contentment is great gain. That would change this, this entire region. But I have a little more to say. Verse 9. Those who want to get rich... Can anyone say Powerball? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Let's share the pot. All right. Uh, those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then here's our verse, verse 10, in context. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then he tells Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, don't raise your hand, but how many people do you know in your life where that describes them? Absolutely, right? They've chased it, and as they've chased it and pursued it, they have walked away from God. How many people do you know in your life where they had a money fight with somebody, where they were friends, but all of a sudden they had a fight about money and they're no longer friends? You know that family member, right? You you know the, the thing where they needed some money and they borrowed it and they said they'd repay the other person but they never repaid them and that money issue became a divisive issue. The love of money can be a root of all types of evil. And that's why it's so silent in here this morning as well. Now, when you hear this passage, man, I love this series. When you hear this passage, you can kind of feel like, okay, well then... Money is just bad, right? Money is bad. Well, we need to recognize having money is not bad. But here's the kicker. Loving money is more dangerous than you realize. The love of money. In the church world, many of us know this, there's kind of two extremes when you talk about money, right? Uh, They both start with a P. One would be this prosperity doctrine right prosperity gospel and then others on the other side you would say kind of like a poverty gospel a poverty doctrine the prosperity gospel is just this belief that if i'm godly if i have enough faith right if i give enough then god has to make me rich i've heard this sermon that jesus was actually the richest man on earth and don't you know we're a king's kid and so if we belong to jesus we're going to be rich god has to make me rich right those types of things Uh, i said this last week i'll say it again here's the danger if you can't preach this message everywhere you shouldn't be preaching this message anywhere go try to preach that to ghana where 54 percent of the people in ghana make less than two dollars a day and tell them that they're going to drive a cadillac if they just give enough i'm telling you that's dangerous and that's abusive and church without making this up that is the exact message i heard when i was in ghana from a man who had a Cadillac and was manipulating people out of their money. If you give, you can have what I have. But on the other side, there's the poverty gospel. That if you're really righteous, then you're not going to have any money. You're going to be poor. If you really love Jesus, you're not going to have anything. And 
I remember a man talking to me about that once, uh, just a couple months ago, and, and I told him, I said, I, I get what you're saying, but you also need to realize that if there wasn't people who gave money, you and I would not even be having this conversation. I wouldn't be living in Edgewood. But someone supported me enough to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and be able to have this conversation with you. So it breaks down at some point. But there they'll say, you know, you're not supposed to have anything. Well, it's hard because look in the Bible, Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gave you the ability to what? To produce wealth. I figure if God gave us the ability to produce wealth, that he probably wouldn't say, yeah, I want to give you the ability to do something evil. He actually wants to give us the ability to produce wealth. Because, by the way, with wealth, you can help a lot of people. So you've got to be careful not to go to these extremes. And again, it's, well, if I'm godly, I'm going to be blessed, right? And, and if you're not blessed, right, if you don't have riches or whatever you think that means, then you just don't have enough faith, right? You're not godly. Or this other extreme, if I'm godly, I'm going to be poor. And if I'm not poor, then I'm not godly. These are just way extremes uh, on the pendulum, uh, just misunderstandings of the truth. So let's figure this out, and, and I think we will. We've got to recognize that we really are blessed. And in our blessing, we don't apologize for the blessings of God. We maximize the blessings of God. You might want to write that down. And I get that could make you squirm a little, but I want to explain it. We don't apologize for the blessings of God. We maximize the blessings of God. Don't apologize. I've seen too many people who are really blessed, and it's almost like they're embarrassed for their blessing. You want to apologize for any other kind of blessing. If you came to me and said, man, Pastor Dan, your marriage, it just seems so great. And I'd be like, well, it's not that great. Right? You want to do that? If I went to your kid and I said, man, you have awesome kids. You're like, no, actually, I hate my kids. Like, you wouldn't do that. If you were like 70, 80 years old, I'm like, man, you seem to be really healthy. And you're like, oh, well, I'm not that healthy. No, you wouldn't apologize for the blessings of God. Don't apologize. Maximize. Maximize the blessings of God. It's not a sin to have something, but it is a sin, and it's extremely dangerous to love money. So let's get the right perspective so we can leverage what God has given us and actually make a difference. Don't you want to make a difference? Well, listen to this. Verse 17. Bible is so good. Now he's really getting to our business. If there's a screwdriver in your heart, he just takes another turn. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to what? put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For years, when I read that verse, you know what I did? I just ran right by it. You know why? Because I didn't see myself as rich, right? That's for some other rich fool, somebody else. And yet, when you read this in the global context of command those who are rich in this present world, command those who are rich in this present world, I don't know about you, but the average person here has hundreds of dollars worth of electronics in their pocket or their purse right now. That is a year's worth of wages for half the planet. If that's you, you're probably kind of rich. Most of us have access to some sort of transportation. Remember Pastor Chad? I remember when he said this one time here at church. He said that if you own a vehicle, that puts you in the top 9% of the wealthiest people in the world today. So you are now in the top 10% of the richest people if you own a vehicle and the funny thing is, as many of us drive that top 10 car, we drive it past many restaurants, right? 
We get to actually choose which restaurant we want to go to. And then we look at the menu, and we don't just eat whatever they're cooking, right? We actually kind of choose, and like, oh, I don't know what I want today. And then we actually have someone else take that menu, take the order to someone else who cooks the food for us, and then someone else actually takes the food and brings it back to us. And then we are the ones who complain and gripe when it takes 11 minutes instead of 10 minutes to get our food. On the thing, by the way, that you couldn't decide what you wanted to eat. But then you go back in your top 10% car and you drive it. Some of you drive it into your car's very own house. We call it a garage. Your car has a house. And then you walk into your climate-controlled place. If it's cold, you turn the heater up. If you're warm, you turn the AC down. And you do this thing in your toilet and the stuff actually goes away. You don't see it. You don't smell it. It's just gone. You watch a flat screen TV on your, face, uh, on your wall. You stream some movies. When you wake up, some of you, you walk into a closet. And your closet is two stories. Meaning you have, uh, you have some clothes on the top and you have some clothes on the bottom. And then you walk all the way along all the clothes. You finger each one and then you say, wow, I don't have what? Anything to wear. I mean, you're rich. I'm rich. We're rich. Right? We're, we're blessed. Don't apologize for it. Maximize it. We're blessed. You didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. We were born into this. We could have been born anywhere in this world. But we're rich. And yet there's this underlying emotion and feeling, I need more. Just a little bit more to be happy. A church, discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes anybody rich. We have to understand this. Let's read this verse again. This time we're going to read it as if God was actually speaking to us, speaking to me. Command those who are rich in this present world. So that's us. That's me. Command us not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope. Where do we put our hope? In God. Not in wealth, but in God. Not in money, but in God. Not in this world, but in eternity. To put their hope not in wealth, but in God, who richly provides, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them not to put their hope in wealth, but put their hope in God. Why do we tend to put our hope in wealth? Why, when I ask you if a little bit more would make life easier or better, without reservation, we'd say, well, of course, a little bit more would help. Here's why. Money promises that which only God can provide. Money promises what only God can provide. You cannot serve both God and money. What does money promise? Money promises if you have enough, you'll be happy. How much do you need to be happy? A little more. (laughs) A little more. And then when you have a little more, you're like, man, I thought that would be it, right? I thought that would be enough, but I guess I need a little more. Money promises what only God can provide. What else does it promise? It promises security. Have you ever been there? Well, if I get that car paid off and if I get this amount in the bank, then I'll be satisfied or then I'll be secure. And yet you get to that point and something actually happens where you're like, man, I thought that would do it. I thought that would be the answer, but I guess I need a little bit more. It promises happiness. It promises security. Have you noticed that money? Have you gotten this trap before? I have. It promises significance, right? If I have enough money, then I'll be all that, right? I won't show up to the party with the broken down jalopy that backfires when I get out of the car. No, I'm going to be coming in with the right purse or the right jeans or the right whatever. 
But all you have to do is, you know, go on TMZ, look at the celebrity world. You've, you've noticed, hopefully by now, that things and money and that significance that it promises, it's, it's quite unsubstantial and it doesn't seem to satisfy the way that the celebrities thought it would. They need just a little bit more. You see that in the contract fights. They just need a little bit more for the athletes. Just a little bit more. Because money promises that which only God can provide. You know, when we really think we need more money to be happy, more money to be satisfied, more money to be secure, more money to be significant, we're deceived. And I think we all fall into this trap from different times in our lives. But at that point, you're deceived and you're under the power of money. You're under the influence of money. But money will not meet your deepest needs. It sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's true. I just talked about it earlier. You know who will meet your deepest needs? Jesus will meet your deepest needs. Money will not meet your deepest needs. Jesus will meet your deepest needs. More money is not going to keep your kids off drugs. More money is not going to make you love your spouse more. Again, look at the marriages of the celebrity world. They have plenty of money, and yet those marriages are falling apart again and again. More money will not make you feel more secure in this world. Only Jesus will. And here's the crazy thing. When you don't have a lot of Jesus, money sure looks really good. But when you have a lot of Jesus, when you have a lot of Jesus, when you got Jesus, it's amazing what happens. You can be content. Now, this is not a pipe dream. This is not some fantasy. This is who you ha- are right now. This is your right as someone who has Jesus. In Jesus, you can be content with what you have. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you believe that, church? I believe that. I, I wrestled through it, right? I struggled through it a little bit. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm here to warn some of you right now. Some of you are searching for something that will never satisfy. You will never, ever, 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 ever have enough. What you need is more of Jesus, more of his grace, more of his peace, more of his assurance, more of his presence, more of his power in your life, more of his love. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's your rock. He's the assurance. He is everything. Jacob said this the other day. I love it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And suddenly when you have more of him, then you're not craving everything else. And the crazy thing is, sometimes when you have more of him, he actually starts giving you more of everything else. And suddenly you recognize that everything else, it isn't just for me. That I can enjoy it, I can be blessed by it, but since it came from him, then I can use it to be a blessing in this world. See, I may have it, but it doesn't have me. I may have it, but it doesn't have me. I may have it, but I don't love it. I may have it, but I don't have to have it because the only thing I have to have is Jesus. The assurance that comes with Jesus, the life that comes with Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that comes with Jesus, that I am now a child of the living God. That's what I have to have. And some of you, one day you're going to get this. And when you get it, you're going to be set free. You're going to be free. I'm telling you, you will be set free. You will be free. And you're going to see it's not wrong to have, but it's not wrong to be blessed, but it is surely wrong to love it. And when you're free from the love of money, you're going to begin to recognize that all of this, it isn't just for you. You are blessed, you're rich, but your blessing can be used to make such a powerful difference in this world. There's a command here for you, a command here for me. Paul says it in verse 18. He says, command those who are rich. Command them to what? It says, command them to do good. 
Command them to be rich in good deeds. Isn't that good? He's actually talking to us right now. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to what? Be willing to share. He says do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Rich people do good. Come on. Be rich in good deeds. Come on. Be generous. Be willing to share. He says in this way they lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, security, so that they may take hold of what? Take hold of the life that is truly life. Hallelujah. The life that is truly life. The life that you've been searching for, the life that you cannot find in material things, in things that will never, ever satisfy. You can find them in God. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share, to find the life that is really, truly life. Again, are you good with that? Is that good? Can we do that? I believe we can. Let me tell you my own story in this. It's kind of a painful story. It's not all pretty, but this is kind of what I do. I tell you about my life. <laughs> but most of my life, I've kind of walked through this lens of, I've said it before, but the if-only Christian, right? If only I had this, if only I had that. Just an if-only mentality. And because of this, giving... It wasn't really a strength of mine. And yet I'm a Christian, and so as a Christian, the Lord would be tugging on my heart, speaking to me, calling me, trust me, Dan, trust me. And I had my moments. I remember two different times in college, I completely emptied out my bank account. I'm not recommending that you do that, but I I just heard the Lord speaking to me, and so I gave everything I had two different times. Those were two of the most freeing, amazing encounters I've ever had with God. But those were temporary moments of generosity. They, it definitely was not a lifestyle for me. And so I struggle with giving, and then I get married. So I bring that mentality and that lifestyle into my marriage. And every tithe, every dollar that I gave, I'm telling you, church, it was painful. Painful. You know why? Because I loved money. You know why? Because I trusted in money. And I'll never forget, was it like nine years ago, we get our end-of-the-year giving statement, and it was so low. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, our bookkeeper must have made a terrible mistake. And so I go over to the bookkeeper and tell her, you know, how is it this low? And she double checks. It, it was right, church. It was right. I was so embarrassed. I was so convicted. I had this love of money. And it had affected me deeper than I could have ever really, really understood or realized. And so Mary and I, we asked for help in this area of giving. And so my boss, he set us up with a pastor it changed our life. He, he committed to meet with us once a week for an entire year to go through Financial Peace University. Have you heard of Financial Peace University? Next time we do Financial Peace University, sign up, do it. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and he just began to work with us to help us trust in the Lord again in this area of finances. And, and it was a process. It was a journey. But we began to give like never before. And, and Mary would agree it was one of the most exciting, one of the best seasons of our life. See, the tithe, it became one of the most effective tools for our spiritual growth because every time that God would give us something, what would we do? We'd give him something back. And those first checks, also, I tell you this, they were extremely emotional moments for our spiritual lives because to us, they seemed like massive checks. Have you ever done that? Like 10%? Like this was huge and and nervously, almost as if we were shaking, we would give it into the offering bucket. Oh God, we want to learn to trust you. God, we want to love you instead of loving money. But I'm telling you, it was truly an emotional, almost a physical experience for us because it was unknown territory in trusting God. Maybe you've been there before. 
Or maybe you kind of feel like you're supposed to get there, but it's, it's nerve-wracking. But I, I'm just telling you, as nervous as we were, it was also this amazing, awesome sense of faith and obedience and relief and ultimately and most importantly, freedom. Freedom. And I'll tell you why, because maybe for the first time ever in my life, the power of the love of money was broken off of me when we did that. And 10%, you know, we've talked about this before, it's only the beginning for us. And, and, and you see Paul talk about uh, giving in 2 Corinthians. He says, don't give reluctantly, right? He says, no, don't do that. God loves what? A cheerful giver. And cheerful giving often is a lot more than 10%. I remember my dad telling me, he goes, well, how much do you need to make before you give 20%? I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, figure it out. <laughs> I love that. And I'm telling you, church, some of the most powerful and emotional times of worship for Mary and I have been when we have given to God. You know what I'm talking, anyone ever been there, that emotional giving experience? Absolutely, right? I think a lot of us could just give those stories, emotional uh, giving experiences. And I know as a family, we've had those experiences. As a church, how many times have we been a part of that? The first decision we made as a church was to uh, help support Pastor Chad for six months in the other uh, the church down in Clarkston. This meant that Pastor Adam and Micah slept on the floor in our room and meant that none of us got raises or anything, but we just were like shaking, like this might kill the church. But we knew that God was telling us to support him, and so we supported him. Full salary for six months, halfway across, you know, on the other side of the state, because we knew that God was calling us to do that. We were shaking, but we were free in our giving. It was an emotional experience. I think about sending missionaries throughout the world. Uh, anyone get the report from Tamara and Ryan lately? I mean, they're over in Papua New Guinea going all over doing their thing. I think about N- Emily going to Niger. I think about Jacob next Monday going to Ghana. The, the powerful things we've been able to do. As a church, we've, we've been able to help people with their house payments. We help people with utility bills. We dropped off backpacks at Discovery School just a couple of weeks ago. We recently helped relocate a family from here to Iowa. We help the family get to Iowa. How cool is that? We sponsor and we actually sponsor a faith-based counselor so that you can get free counseling, Bible-based counseling. We, we help um, uh, different organizations who feed the homeless. We help an organization that provides job skills training. We give bus passes to people who are walking on the street. We give gas cards to those who need gas. We give food to those who need food. We give towards an orphanage and a prenatal clinic halfway around the world. These are faith-filled, emotional experience of giving and we're seeing the results of what God can accomplish through rich people when they recognize that it's not all about them isn't it exciting isn't that cool and you just flip the tortilla and see what the other side of that is where you're just living all for yourself just trying to consume I just need a little bit more just think about where that leads you 10 20 30 40 years later compared to this life of emotional physical giving god i trust in you i love you not in money my love is in you i'm just telling you when you do that you are set free from the love of money because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil how do you know you love money you never have enough never satisfied with your income i'll tell you that's been me most of my life significant portion of my life the tithe helped break me free from that generosity helped break me free from that but still in my flesh, have you ever, I wake up all the time in my flesh. I, I wish it wasn't that way, but I wake up all the time like, I am grumpy. I am discouraged. I am depressed. That's why I read the Bible every day, church, because I need help. You ever woken up 
just like full of fear, full of anxiety. I'll wake up sometimes and like, man, if only I had, if only I had, if only I had, that will just rise up. You know what I do when, I, when that rises up? I'm telling you, no. One, I say, devil, you got to get out of here. <laughs> but two, God, I trust in you. I put my trust in you. Physically, I put my trust in you. You know the best way I can put my trust in God? In that moment, be generous. Have you noticed that? Isn't that a powerful experience? In that moment, where you're like, man, I'm, I'm a human being. I actually have real emotions. I'm actually kind of nervous and fearful. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose to give to God. No, God, I trust in you. I love you, God. My faith is in you, God. And it's emotional. It's okay for it to be emotional, church. Because what you're saying is, you're saying, I trust God. You're reminding yourself, you know what? My contentment, it is found in God. My satisfaction, it is found in God. My security, right? I'm trying not to look at anyone because I don't want you to think I'm talking about you. But your security <laughs> is in you, God. And when you start living this way, it's like you can just get yourself into the scripture of Paul talking to Timothy. Command those rich people. Command Pastor Dan. Hey, don't put your hope in money, which is so uncertain. No, you put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Tell those rich people, tell Pastor Dan, do good. Do good, Pastor Dan. Do good, church member. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Because you know what? Then, and only then, you're going to take hold of life that is truly life. Church, I hope that we can grab a hold of, just grab the reins of life that is truly life. Grab a hold of the freedom that is found in this area when money loses its grip on your life and you begin to move from loving money to loving God. And as you begin to move away from loving money and loving God, you'll begin to see God move in you and through you like never before. And I believe that for us as a church. That God, as we just continue to experience this freedom in the area of money, we're going to see God do things that are beyond our comprehension in us and through us. Father, thank you for you. I just thank you for these scriptures. They are so rich in truth, so rich in power. Help us, God. Help us. Help, help this room, Lord. Help Help this church, this, this, this group of people we call LifeSpring Church, help us to get this right. And as we pray, I know many of you, as I've been speaking, your heart has just been opening up. That you're, you're allowing this truth to sink in. And I love this because as you're allowing this truth to sink in, you're leaving this place different. And if that's you, if you're recognizing that you truly are blessed and you want to be even more generous then you already are and you want to make a difference in this world. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If, if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? I expect it to be everyone. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. God, I pray right now in this moment that you would cause everyone to look for opportunities to be generous. God, for those who are Jesus followers, I thank you on this day that some of them for the first time they're going to take the step of faith and worship to give back to you, God. And it's going to be a freeing moment. And we're going to recognize in this moment that everything comes from you, God. And as an act of worship and obedience, in joy and generosity, we're going to give back to you. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to do that. But God, we also don't want to stop there. 
God, I pray that you give us new eyes. New eyes just to see the opportunities all around us. That as rich people, we're not going to put our hope in wealth, but God, we're going to put our hope in you. God, because you have blessed us richly, we're going to do good. We're going to do good. We're going to do good in, in, in deeds. We're going to be generous. We're going to be willing to share. God, you have blessed us with so very much. May we just feel the divine responsibility that you have blessed us and remind us that it's not all for us. Just in our selfishness and our pride, Lord, that humility could reign in this place. That, God, you have given us a responsibility that to whom much has been given, much is required. And, God, in no way do we deserve this, but, God, you have blessed us. And we declare right now, we will be a blessing to others. I am not going to die with a U-Haul. <laughs> freedom in this place lord the power of the love of money is more dangerous than we realize but we know that you are even more powerful lord and you can break anything that is holding us down any stronghold any chain can be broken right now in the name of jesus some of you as we're praying you recognize you've been searching for something to bring peace you've been searching for something to heal your heart you've been searching for something to fill the void that's inside and you've consumed and you've consumed and you've consumed but riches will never satisfy you can be the richest man in the world and still be empty we can never consume enough to be filled you don't need more of this world you need more of Jesus you need the love of God the love of God that sent his son to this earth to die for you to die the most horrible death on the cross and be raised again from the dead so that anyone, and this includes you, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And there is nothing in this world that will satisfy or fill the emptiness inside. Only Jesus can do that. And maybe you're here this morning and you've recognized that you've sinned. You recognize that you need a Savior. You recognize that you're empty and you need to be filled. You don't need more of this world. You need Jesus. And you know it. And if that's you, if you want to pray and, and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, if you want to turn from your sins and be given a new life where God would fill you and satisfy you and be your security and be your joy, if that's what you want this morning, I want to pray with you, but would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Absolutely. Anybody else? Absolutely. Anyone else? Absolutely. Amen. Anybody else? Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lord, we just want to pray to you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father. And this is whether you're a Christian or not. We're just praying. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I give you my life. I give you my life. I give you my money. Lord, I give you the power. The power that money had over me, I now give to you, Lord. The love I had for money, I now give to you, Lord. God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you. This is a process. This is a process. You live in a world that is run by money. And so if you're tempted at times, if you, if you feel yourself like maybe you made a decision that was maybe a little bit off course from what God would want for you, 
This isn't an opportunity for you to condemn yourself or just to shame yourself, but it is an opportunity to just look inside and say, God, is this your best for me? Is this the best way for me to live this life or to use the blessings and gifts and, and things that you've given me? Is this what's best for me? Because God isn't going to just continue to shame you for what you've done in your past, but he loves you enough to kind of want to change what you're going to do in your future. He wants to help you. He wants to transform you and conform you. And so if you struggle with that, don't condemn yourself. Don't beat yourself up. But just lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? If I'm honest, I kind of have a love for money that has gotten really unhealthy. But I don't want the love of money to sprout up all these evil things. I want the love of God to bring me freedom. I want to love you, God. And find the freedom that's found in you. If that's you, by the way, I'd love to pray for you after service. But also just this week, I was thinking about it. This week, email me. Like, just info at lifespringfs.com. Just be like, you know what? I need prayer because Tuesday morning came and I got that utility bill. And all the fear sees me again. All the anxiety sees me again. And just pray. Email me or email anybody. Just email someone. Don't walk through this alone. Be like, we need to remember who we are in Christ. Remember what we have in God. Remember that it's not the love of money that we're searching where it's the love of God so just as, as you can don't go through this alone right please don't go through this alone I'm meeting a lot of lonely people these days don't go through this alone bug your Christian brother and sister allow them to pray for you it is our joy to encourage one another but if you're struggling in this area you're not alone in your struggle but this is not a pipe dream fairy tale or fantasy this idea of breaking free from the love of money I'm surrounded by people that do that so many of you do that. I was, you know, I don't know how much you guys give at this church. I don't know if you know that. It's just kind of a rule I have. I don't want to know. I don't want to treat you differently if you give or if you don't give. But you know who knows? Lucinda Folsom, <laughs> right? She's the most dangerous person in the church. The bookkeeper, you know, she has to know. And I was talking to her about money the other day. You know what she said? She said, damn, you would be humbled by the giving in this church. You'd be humbled by people and what they give. She goes, I'll, I'll go through it. And she goes, I'm just humbled again and again and again by the generosity in this church. Isn't that beautiful? As a pastor, do you know how cool that was to hear that? Like to know that I'm a part of a giving community, of a community that is free in this area of money, that we're not uh, completely, uh, um, completely chained or imprisoned by this love of money, but that we're free in this area of money. But also just that we would go further, that we would go further with this further with this just further with this we I, I think I told you guys this I just got a check for two thousand dollars from someone for the orphanage this week just you know like hallelujah and I didn't, I didn't ask them or anything they go this is what the Lord told us to do and here you go and I, I think that's just so amazing uh, what God is doing we're going to bring soccer balls um, soccer clubs that don't even I've never have stepped in this foot of this church they're finding freedom and giving like I just love what God is doing but don't you just feel like it's only the beginning I feel like it's only the beginning and I'm telling you as the people around us begin to see us not as people who are gripped by money but are free in this area of money they will take notice they're going to take notice other pastors are taking notice churches are taking notice wow what is the deal I told you this last week, but I, I, we, we gave some money towards a pastor and they said we could never do that in our church because if we would have done a special offering, our council would have said you can't do that because we have to make sure we meet budget. And I get that. There's that honest fear. But one of the great things about this place is you guys continue to give and continue to give. We continue to resource people and I just want freedom in this area. I do. I want it. God wants it. I, for you, buddy, buddy, you're telling me just this week, you're like, I use the app. 
You know, and I was like, hallelujah, use the app. Amen. So let's stand. We're going to sing to the Lord. But let's not pretend that a sermon can fix all this. I'm just a, I just talk, 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 talk. But the power of God can change us.